0: Welcome to the Millennial Merlot Podcast, where we blend true crime, tales from within the staffing industry, and a breakdown on world events. I'm your host, a legal aficionado, a wine lover, true crime enthusiast, national recruiter, and admitted workaholic. And I couldn't care less about ad money, sponsors, or boring small talk. So, needless to say, you can expect zero ads or commercials. You can also expect an insightful analysis on cases and controversies, captivating crime case deep dives, and engaging stories from a thought provoking and sometimes confrontational millennial perspective. So, whenever world events unfold, whether it's good, bad, juicy, or toxic, I will be here, wine in hand, ready to share. My thoughts. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show, guys. It's so funny. When I created this podcast, I thought for sure I'd be able to release an episode every week. But it turns out that extensive legal research and case analysis and amateur investigations take a lot longer than I thought. And I recruit nationally full-time, so I'm basically the typical millennial who bit off more than she could chew uh, when she promised an episode each week. Um, I will say that I have been following the Karen Reed case very, very closely, and there have been some wild developments. So I'll be airing a new episode probably in a week or so. It's about an hour long unless I can't seem to hone in on my time management skills, which in that case, it might be aired the week after that. But it's a rainy day here in the Carolinas. I've got with me a nice bottle of Austin Hope Cabernet. This is my favorite wine. If you've never tried it, I highly recommend it and you can thank me later. So let's get started. On today's episode, we'll unfortunately be going back to what is known as Watts Island. In the true crime community, we call this case Watts Island because it's been dissected by so many people, by each one of us, and it's been reported on so extensively that the more that's uncovered leaves us all absolutely disgusted. And we actively try to avoid returning. Like there are so many podcasts and documentaries and like YouTube videos and articles about this case that it's become so drawn out that the very topic seems to be tired at this point. But I honestly have no choice But to return to this case, because we have learned some shocking revelations. But before we get into the 2024 updates, I'll share with you a brief recap of what Chris Watts did. If you're unfamiliar with the Chris Watts case, honestly, lucky you, because he's an absolute fucking monster. And here's a refresher on what happened. So this case took place back in 2018. So on August 13th, 2018, Shanann Watts and her two baby daughters were reported missing. So Shanann, in particular, spent basically her entire life posting on social media, sharing videos and photos of like trips and family benchmarks and just like day-to-day life in the Watts home. So when her socials went completely dark, her friends knew like right away that something was wrong. So Shanann's social media accounts have always depicted the perfect marriage, perfect children, the huge house, a thriving career for both her and her husband, Chris. Um, and they also shared with the world that Shannon was now pregnant with their third baby, who they named Nico. But while Shannon is constantly working and updating the world on her life with her husband and her kids. Her piece of shit husband was secretly having an affair with his co-worker, Nicole Kessinger. So the updates today will be regarding what we've recently learned about her. And honestly, it's seriously mind-blowing. But according to Nicole, okay, Chris told her that when they first started dating, that he was in the process of separating from his wife, which was proven to be an obvious lie. And even if he did tell Nicole that, it wouldn't make any sense that she would actually believe it because we've now learned that Nicole was basically stalking Shanann Watts' Facebook months before she and Chris even started hooking up. So shortly after Shanann and her daughters were reported missing, Chris Watts was idiotic enough to allow newscasters to interview him on live TV where he can be seen begging for his family to come home. While I watched these interviews, I don't know, I immediately knew that he was lying. He, he seemed like such a dirtbag from the very moment I saw him. I knew he was lying about something. He just seemed really shady, like he had zero emotion. It was as if I was watching somebody who was trying to, like, pretend to care and he just did it poorly. So, fast track two days later. So, two days after Shannon and her children were reported missing, Chris Watts is arrested uh, on three counts of first-degree murder of his pregnant wife and two children. By the way, his two daughters, Bella and Cece, they were ages four and three years old. Okay? So, it turns out that when Shannon got home the night before from a business trip, Chris strangled her to death in their marital bed, he wrapped her body in the comforter, dragged her down the stairs, then loaded her into the back seat of his truck and then woke up his two baby girls, brought them downstairs, loaded them into the truck as well. And it's honestly so sick. All of it is so sick, but it's crazy because Shanann's lifeless body was literally under the baby's feet and they were obviously too young to even understand what was going on. But so Chris Watts drove his family to an isolated area where there were two massive oil tanks and he proceeded to murder each child one by one. Then he proceeded to climb up the oil tank ladders and one by one dropped his baby girl's lifeless bodies into the oil tanks. It's seriously so disturbing that it's, it's hard to believe that it even stopped there because he then, you know, he comes down from the oil tanks and he casually buries his wife in a shallow grave and then drives home. He was then interviewed for hours and hours and hours and interrogated and he eventually copped to the murders. He told law enforcement that he killed them because he wanted, quote, a fresh start. Let me just pause real quick, guys, and and just point out what we're all thinking and what we've always thought. You have got to be out of your mind psychotic to think that murdering your entire family is the solution to anything. Like you want a new start get a divorce like who the fuck annihilates their entire family and then discards them like trash it's honestly so unthinkable so he confessed and he was sentenced to i think it was three consecutive life sentences plus an additional like 48 years for unlawful termination of of a pregnancy and another 36 years tacked onto that for tampering with corpses so obviously he'll he'll never see the light of day and it has been said that he is not only the most hated prisoner but he's at more risk than any other inmate for his crimes so he's he's actually had to be relocated a few times for security reasons and he is in constant protective custody so there you go right open and close case the guy confessed done right well not quite after everything was said and done people were still kind of looking at Nicole. Like people were still like kind of curious. I feel like a lot of people were suspicious of her, but figure that if she wasn't charged with anything after countless interrogations with the police, then it was likely that she was clean of any wrongdoing. I want to kind of take a step back though, because initially I couldn't help but draw parallels between this case and the infamous Lacey Peterson case in which, her husband Scott Peterson was found guilty of her murder. Notably, both cases involve pregnant women whose husbands had extramarital affairs. But I feel like a key distinction lies in a couple of things like one, like the reactions of the mistresses involved. For example, unlike Amber Fry, do you guys remember her? She ended up writing a book and getting like a book deal from what happened. But unlike Amber Fry, who was genuinely shocked about learning of the murder of Lacey, and had no knowledge of her boyfriend's marital status, I think it's clear at this point that the same cannot be said for Nicole Kissinger. And this is why. So it was revealed that on the night of the murders, Chris and Nicole were on the phone for over an hour and they spoke on the phone and texted constantly throughout the days following the murders. And then when she was finally asked by the police of you know, what she knew about anything, she played dumb and just acted like she had no idea what was going on. And mind you, she was interrogated by detectives for like four hours here, or five hours there. The whole time she's just playing dumb. It was honestly really frustrating to watch. Throughout her interrogations though, her stories changed so much. So she kept putting on this act. And yes, I do call it an act. And you will too by the end of this episode where she pretended to be shocked that he was even still married, and that she had no idea what his plans were and what he wanted to do with her. um, And that she didn't even consider the two to have a serious relationship. Funny thing about that, though, is Nicole was literally googling, quote, marrying your mistress, unquote and other searches relating to being with a married man and wondering if he would leave his wife or her. I think one of the exact Google searches was, quote, man I'm having an affair with says he'll leave his wife, unquote. And it was even proven that she had been looking at wedding dresses. So like the idea that she had no idea that he was even married alone is preposterous, considering how often she apparently visited Shanann's Facebook page. And if you ever went to it, you should, it's still up. Shanann's Facebook page is riddled with evidence of a happy marriage, a highly anticipated pregnancy, and just being so in love with her husband, which was literally all Shanann ever really posted about, unless she was talking about her work. Because so many people have been suspicious of Nicole, A lot of us, like a lot of people in the true crime community, were really, really happy when they finally released the footage of all of her interrogations. I've watched a lot of them. And the most annoying thing about them is that literally the entire time, she's pretending like she doesn't remember anything about anything. They specifically asked her, too, like what she and Chris would talk about and what they were talking about on the phone and texting about even days leading up to the murders and even after the murders. At this time, there are missing persons posters all over town. She knows that his family is missing. And yet during that time, she like couldn't at all recount what she and Chris were talking about, which is wild. I don't know about you guys, but like I'm of the belief that it's a lot easier to remember specific conversations when they take place around such important life events, especially when a mother and her two babies are literally missing not only that though police initially asked her for her phone and initially she refused to give it to them red flag right and it was only after a lot of convincing that she ultimately handed it over to law enforcement and then it was discovered that she had deleted hundreds of text messages why would you do that if you have nothing to hide then why are you deleting text messages? If you have nothing to hide, why wouldn't you just like give up your phone the first time they ask, you know? So as of this year, 2024, more evidence has actually come out that there are major discrepancies with respect to Nicole's alibi during the time of the murders. So let's talk about that a little bit. So Police have revealed that her timeline is proven to be very unclear. A lot of people have questioned the accuracy and consistency of her timeline of events because they've changed so many times. She gave law enforcement an account of her whereabouts in the morning after the murders that was vastly different than the one that she gave them towards the end of her interrogation process, suggesting potential gaps and discrepancies that could actually lead to her involvement. Not only that, but they have recently released phone pings that show that her phone actually pinged just a few miles away at the same time that Chris Watts was loading his wife's body into that truck. So critics argue that cell phone tower pings and locations of her phone on the day of the murders are not at all aligning with her stated activities and movements. Also, there's a lack of corroborating witnesses. There are assertions out there that Nicole lacked concrete alibi witnesses who could verify her whereabouts during that crucial time frame. All of this coupled with those weird Google searches and those deleted messages that they still haven't been able to uncover, which I find to be really strange because I thought you could always retrieve deleted text messages, but there have been a lot of concerns that have been raised about Nicole's deleting those messages and really trying to erase her electronic evidence, leading to even more suspicions about potential incriminating content. But when you have all of this together and then you add such odd behavior from Nicole during that time, Her demeanor, her behavior during the interviews with law enforcement appeared to be so inconsistent, so suspicious. She acted so cavalier about everything, making it seem like she was some type of poor patsy. You know, her motives are questionable too. I mean, this part isn't even new, but yeah, she was dating a man that was married. But it's the fact that she's lying about knowing that he was married and being so shocked when they go missing, even though she's been in constant communication with him. And this update isn't from this year, but I actually learned towards the end of last year in 2023 that she was caught writing letters to Chris Watts. And that's actually why he was ultimately removed from that one facility. I don't even know where he was, but yeah, apparently they still keep in touch. So while the legal proceedings themselves have concluded, there are so many conversations about this taking place right now. A lot of the members of the true crime community are convinced that Nicole Kissinger, who is clearly a key figure in this case, may have played a more significant role than previously believed. A lot of people argue that the evidence, obviously the the deleted messages, the the unusual internet searches, and just her overall demeanor during interviews hints at more of a significant role than what was initially revealed. But here is why it is so frustrating for everyone. It's the statute of limitations with respect to conspiracy to murder charges. So because this case took place in Colorado, statutes of limitation laws are going to be geared towards Colorado law. So last time I checked, conspiracy to commit murder charges usually carries like, I think it's like a three-year statute, meaning that the prosecution has a very small window of only just three years from the date of the alleged conspiracy to even bring charges against anybody. And by anybody, I mean Nicole. So it's frustrating because the knowledge that this case it was technically over in 2018, surpassing the statute of limitations for conspiracy to commit murder, it's only infuriating those who believe that Nicole Kissinger may have been deeply involved. It's important to note too, that there is no statute of limitations on murder charges, but conspiracy to commit murder, that's a whole nother thing. I personally don't believe that she had any direct involvement with the deaths of Shanann and her two babies, or three if you count Nico. But I do believe that she knows way more than she's saying. So the Watts family murders continue to really haunt everybody, offering a stark reminder of the mysteries that really persist long after the legal gavel has fallen. So while the statute of limitations may present, I guess you could call it a roadblock for those who suspect Nicole Kissinger's deeper involvement, it's really the relentless pursuit of truth that remains unwavering. And in the world of true crime, Really, obviously, our main goal is justice, and justice has no time constraints. So as long as questions remain unanswered, the search for clarity and closure, they're always going to be there. I'm just hoping that they are able to somehow get a hold of those deleted text messages and really see what she was trying to hide. I think that would tie everything all together. So whether you believe Nicole had any involvement in this case or not, You really can't deny how shady her part was when all of this went down. You're going to knowingly date a married man, actively lie about the level of intimate knowledge you had, delete your text messages, and then act like you're so innocent when being asked questions? The fact alone that she was writing Chris in prison only goes to show that she has no problem associating with somebody who's capable of committing a crime like this. Nicole has since been moved to witness protection. She has also changed her name and she is completely off the grid. My question for her is, if you've done nothing wrong, why the hell are you hiding? Thank you guys so much for tuning in to tonight's episode. While this case may not offer any foreseeable updates, I promise that if I come across any new information regarding Nicole's potential involvement or any charges made against her, I'll be sure to keep you all informed. Until then, I'll be doing work on this Austin Hope Cabernet and spending some quality time with my trusty companion, Bradley. Stay tuned for the next episode. Good night, y'all. Cheers.